You're so welcome. If you're a guest or a visitor, uh, we really hope you feel at home and at ease among us and around us. Um, we have a couple of special guests I want to introduce you to. This is the lovely Thomas and Sarah from Odense in Denmark. Can you welcome Thomas and Sarah? Thomas and Sarah uh, lead a vineyard in uh, Odense and uh, Thomas oversees uh, the church planting for the Nordic region in, uh, for vineyard up there and they are finally made it to the centre of the universe, Lisburn and Lagan Valley Vineyard. Guys, great to see you. You're so welcome. Uh, if you do have little people with you, please feel totally at ease. I, am, um, I don't know if any of you noticed the chaos that was happening on the floor through worship. That was my kids. Um, so I'm not easily uh, distracted. Um, we were supposed to be finishing our series called Learning to See this morning. We, we might get to some of that. We'll see how we get on. But I want to um, just take some time this morning to process uh, together some of what happened last Sunday as we, we gathered here. If you were with us last week, um, you'll remember we gave the Journey Church here in Lisburn a check for £10,000 towards their uh, building project which was um, just a really special moment for us as we uh, got to invest in all that God is doing in that uh, community. But one of the things I'm really aware of, and um, as a staff and leadership team we've been chatting about this week, is there are so many people in our community that are connected and a part of all sorts of other uh, incredible things happening locally and globally and all that sort of stuff. And so I just want to talk a little bit this morning <clears throat> about how we um, came to the decision to do that, what was going on, why, and um, I guess bring you into some of that story. If you're new to us, uh, you maybe won't know that from the very, very beginning of our journey as Lagan Valley Vineyard, God spoke to us really, really clearly about some distinctives and um, the kind of church and community he wanted us to be. And one of those was about being a family that was radically generous. That, that one of the things uh, we've dreamed of being and becoming is a church that would model the generosity of God to our city and to the world. I'm not sure there is a, a greater witness to the character and nature of God than when we, as followers of Jesus, are selfless and radically generous. And uh, over the past five years, there's been loads of different ways that we've done that and different expressions of that. And if you've been with us any length of time, hopefully that won't be uh, news to you. But one of the things that we've noticed, uh, one of the, I'm, I'm going to be really honest, if you're a guest or a visitor, this is kind of family business. So um, come back next week and you'll get a good talk. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that we've been journeying over the past couple of years, since actually really since we moved into a nice, comfortable building, is um, that we've grown like crazy. And that's been really, really exciting. Any of you that were here January, February, March, when you couldn't move in here before we did the double services thing, and uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been really fun, it's been really challenging, it's been all of those kind of things. Um, but something's happened as we have kind of gone this way in our numerical growth and all of the opportunities that have kind of come around us and are happening and opening up to us in our community. As we have done this numerically, we've kind of done this financially. And one of the things that's happening, I think anyway, <clears throat> excuse me, 
is whenever any of you around Haslam's Lane, any of you remember Haslam's Lane? We've asked if you remember Haslam's Lane. If you walk up Haslam's Lane or down Haslam's Lane, you'll see our original Lagan Valley Vineyard venue. It still has some of the kind of, I don't know what you call that, vinyl on the windows. And when we were in there, um, it was impossible to not notice that there was need everywhere in our community. That there was this kind of 20 or so of us trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus in every single part of our lives. And there was this really big, ugly red wall. There was a really cold, slippery tiled floor. The room was like the oddest shape you've ever seen. It was kind of hard to see everybody. And there was like, a, I don't know if you remember the tap that was kind of three quarters of the way up in this tiny little corner. It was a really odd, odd room. And there was no space for kids. In fact, nor our eldest when we first met in Hasm's Lane. We used to literally put her in a cupboard upstairs in her pram because church happened during her nap time and we would put a monitor in the cupboard and we would do church downstairs while she was sleeping up there. But everybody could see that there was need everywhere. And then we moved to Island Hall and Palm Park and, and there was all sorts of chaos and craziness. And the reality is in this nice, painted, comfortable, warm venue is you can be forgiven for thinking that, well, there's no much, not much need going on anymore. Like this church kind of has it together. There's tons of people and there's nice coffee and there's chairs and space. And, and the reality is that couldn't be further from the truth. We have more opportunities to partner with Jesus in seeing his kingdom come to the city, the surrounding areas, and even all over the world than we have ever had before. And the reality is The biggest barrier to ministry in our community is money. The biggest barrier, the the single thing that actually holds us back, it's not ideas, it's not people, it's not opportunities, it's not invitations. It is as simple as pounds and pence. I find that, um, that sticks with me a little bit. And we are surfing through this thing of of trying to live out everything that God has spoken over us as a community. And so last Sunday, when we gave the journey 10,000 pounds, that wasn't a declaration that Lagan Valley Vineyards minted. Hugely sacrificial for us. Massively so. In fact, I didn't say this in the 945 uh, because he was here, but when we sat down as a group of trustees, we'd already decided, we felt like God was speaking to us about this. We were going to do this. And we uh, had to then, we were like, yep, we're doing this. We're giving them some money. And then we had to have that conversation. You know, the, how much money? And I said, uh, well, I mean, 5,000 pounds would be like a lot of money. And Mark Wilkinson, for any of you that know Mark, um, in the way only Mark can, said, I think we should give him 10. And I went, oh, crap. <laughs> you say crap in church? <laughs> Sorry, take that out of the podcast, Michael. See, the, the truth is, uh, with our reserve, f- five grand we could have we afforded, really. I mean, it's still a lot of money, but, it, you know, like we could have done that. 10,000 pounds was a sacrifice. And you see, generosity that doesn't cost us isn't generosity. It's just stuff we should be doing. 
Like if, if we can do it, just do it. If it, doesn't, if, if it doesn't cost you, then it's not really being generous. And so we sat as a bunch of trustees and went, yeah, that feels scary. Sounds like the Lord. Let's give him 10 grand. And so we did. And the, the ripples have been unbelievable. I, I got this message from Peru this week. Let me, let me read this to you. Andy, I just want to get in touch to say thank you for the example of Lagan Valley Vineyard and the journey. Absolutely stunning generosity. The ripple effects are being felt here in Lima, Peru, as church unity is so fractured. And as we shared your story of generosity with our community, it speaks challengingly and prophetically and beautiful here as I'm sure is the case in Ireland, epic stuff. Peru. I could spend the rest of the morning just reading you emails and text messages and Facebook messages of people all over the world that just went, wow. Do you know what the thing that scares the life out of me about that is? That we would get to say, Isn't our church awesome, but this thing of radical generosity not actually be alive in our lives? You see, sometimes it's easy to get around a church community where lots of things are happening and just kind of go with the flow, but not actually be immersed in it. Like to be on the edge, but not a part. And that is not our desire. That's not what we're dreaming of. That's not what we're longing for. We will always, and this is our commitment to you as leaders, we will always do absolutely everything we possibly can to be obedient to Jesus, no matter how much it scares us. But we're praying for exactly the same thing for you. That that would be every single one of our story and every single one of our journey. What if moments like last Sunday weren't moments, but they were just normal? Can you imagine that? Like, what if things like last Sunday were just normal? Let me read this to you. Acts 2:42 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, there was a time in church history when things like last Sunday were totally normal. There was a time in church history when people selling property and handing over deeds to land and seeing anything and just impulsively giving towards it, it was totally normal. And the cool thing is actually, if you were here last Sunday and you heard Gary talk about it, this is alive in our city. But just across our city in the Journey Church, there are people that are washing dishes and God speaking to them saying, give the church your house. And they're overcome with a sense of fear and panic. Okay, Lord, 
but you're going to need to tell my wife. And if you were here last week, you'll remember the story that the guy prayed for four days. And when he finally plucked up the courage to tell his wife that he felt like God was telling them to give their house to the church, she said, I know, God told me last night. And they've done it. You see, I I think there is a, in fact, (laughs) I don't think, sorry. I'm absolutely convinced there is a direct correlation between our relationship with our money and our possessions and our ability to be the people of God here on earth. They are completely linked. Our ability to understand ourselves as stewards, not owners, is the paradigm that we're supposed to operate in. Any scholars of the Irish language in the room this morning? Just me, brilliant, I can lie to you as much as I want. So we have a good friend who speaks fluent Irish and I talk to him about this kind of stuff often. Uh, Did you know that the concept of ownership is not in the Irish language? There is no word for own. So if you were talking about your house or your car or your whatever, the literal Irish translation of that is, that car is with me. Or that house is with me. And the soil of our culture is this idea of legacy and stewardship. That whatever you have been entrusted with is only that. You have been entrusted with it to steward it and then pass it on. Incidentally, there's also no concept of responsibility. Like if I drop this cup right now, there's no Irish way to say I dropped it. I would say it fell from me. (laughs) Welcome to Ireland. (laughs) I love it. I love it. But this idea of legacy and stewardship, absolutely consistent with the paradigm of the kingdom, For followers of Jesus, we own nothing. We steward everything. And the dream of God over our lives is that we would be liberated from the bondage of consumerism. That I buy, therefore I am. That money wouldn't own us but that we would steward it to supply the destiny of a city and the world but it's hard and it's tricky and scary and all of those things for any of you who've heard me teach on money before let me do a brief recap this is from 2 Corinthians 8 says this and now the brothers and sisters and now brothers and sisters we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches listen to this in the midst of their very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for i testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own It is impossible to be the people of God and hold money tightly. It's not possible. 
And there's uh, three layers of, of giving that I observe mostly in the church. Level one is this, giving to need. That should be just present in our society, and indeed is. That when we see a need, we, we meet it. When we see an advert on the TV for something, or we read of a campaign, or some crisis that's going on, there's need, and we should absolutely move towards that and meet it, level one. Level two is this, when we give towards vision. Where something captures our attention and our hearts, and we go, I want to invest in that. That picture of a future reality that is not present, I'm going to use my money to invest in seeing that come alive. That's level two. And most Christians and most of the church lives between level one and level two, and they never get to what I think Paul is describing here in 2 Corinthians. And this is this, that we give because of grace. That because of the work that God has done in us and is doing through us, it bubbles up and boils over in radical generosity where we find ourselves on our knees before him saying, I can do nothing else but give this to you as a tiny token of my gratitude for what you're pouring out over and into and out of my life. And our giving is in response to the grace upon grace that God is pouring over us. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of their very severe trial. This is crazy. In the midst of their very severe trial. How many of you ever find yourselves in talks like this or... God's maybe whispering to you about money, but you've got some sort of crisis going on. And you're like, when I get through the crisis, no problem. God, there's this thing happening in my life or that thing happening in my life. And yeah, I'm in, I want, I want this in my life, but I, do you see what's happening? Sort this out and then. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy Who has joy in trial? Generous people do. Their overflowing joy. <laughs> this, is mad. this text is mad. It's in the, I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. You can read it yourself. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Like, where do those things meet? Their extreme poverty welled up into generosity. Only God. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. I, I want us to just give towards need because that's what good humans do. From time to time, we will call you to a vision. This building was one of them. Many of you remember being involved in that. But more than any of that, I long for our generosity to be a reflection of our awareness of the grace of God operating in our lives. I always find it interesting talking to people about money, particularly in church. And um, sometimes people say this to me, well, if I knew where the money was going, I'd give a bit more, you know? 
And we all want to give to the really sexy, exciting project, right? I mean, nobody wants to give to coffee, but we'll drink it. Too close, move on. If you've been with us and tracked with us for any length of time, you'll remember, like we, we taught on tithing lots here. And anytime we talk about tithing, I have some really fun pastoral chats after that. Okay, Andy, I'm self-employed. So is it tithing like before tax or after tax? Or, Andy, okay, I'm getting the tithing thing, but I have like a charity and another thing and another thing. So like, is it, is it like 3% there and 4% there and, you know, what's left? 7% somewhere else? No, that's wrong. It's 3% left, 3, 4, whatever. I'd be glad I don't look after our finances. And we've completely missed the point. Like tithing is not supposed to be this thing that we aspire or attain to. And when we get there, we're like, yep, I paid my God tax. I've diversified well, Lord. It's in four different pots. One happens to be your church. We've missed the point completely. We are not dreaming and praying for the day when you all tithe. It'd be awesome if we did, but that's not what I'm longing for. I remember a few years ago sitting in a room with Rick Warren. Rick leads Saddleback Church and um, wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And he began to talk about his relationship with money. It's the most inspiring thing I've ever heard. And he talked about how every year, him and his wife, from they got married, every year they increased the amount that they gave away. If you didn't know, Purpose Driven Life is like the second best-selling book of all time. Second only to the Bible. Like, imagine being the guy that wrote that book, right? And Rick was telling a story of somebody asked him once, Rick, why do you think God gave you the second best-selling book of all time, second only to the the one he wrote? And he said, oh, that's easy. He knew he could trust me with the money. So before anybody knew his name, before there was a megachurch, before there was a best-selling book, Rick and Kay Warren were engaged in radical generosity. And he talks about this game that's been going on for 40 odd years or however length of time it's been. He's now at like 94 or 95%. He gives away 94 or 95% of his income. And his joke is, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get to 100, but we've been playing this game for four odd decades. Well, we've got to keep going. I'm sure you saw the news from the referendum on Friday. And we, we could get into all sorts of political debates about abortion and law and the state of the nation and all that sort of stuff. Just park that for a second. Can you imagine if in every abortion clinic in Ireland that's coming, there were leaflets and people saying, there's this bunch of people called the church and they'll take any child you don't want. Consider that. They'll take any child you don't want. 
We cannot, we cannot become who God wants us to be and hold money tightly. We just can't. We have to learn to embrace the truth that we own nothing and we steward everything. James, why don't you come up? And the crux of this whole conversation is this simple and terrifying question that the Lord asks me almost every week. Andy, do you trust me? Andy, do you trust me? I want to be really honest with you. I have more faith for healing miracles than I do for God to look after my finances when I'm generous. I find it easier to stand up here on a Sunday morning or other gatherings like this and say, I think there's somebody in here with a lung condition and God wants to heal it. I have more faith for that than when God prompts me to give my money away. And yet, every single time, every single time, Dana and I have obeyed God when he's asked us to do, I nearly said stupid, they're not stupid, they seem stupid to us, things with our money. It comes through. I cannot tell you the number of people over the last five and a half years here at Lagavulli Vineyard, as we've taught about tithing, who've recently come to faith and went, Andy, there is nowhere in my budget for this. Like it doesn't, I, I can't put it in. Like we're living absolutely at the max. And I say, no problem. Let's go on a journey with that. Let's talk about that. And time and time and time again, six months, 12 months, 18 months later, people come back and this is what they say. I have never given more money away and I've never had more money. How does that work? Don't misunderstand me. This is not give God your money so he can give you more. That's not what this is. But here's what I know to be true. It is impossible to live under the blessing and favor of God and not be generous. We can't do it. If you want more favor and you want more blessing, be more generous. Be more generous. These kind of talks can evoke all kinds of emotions in us. And it would break my heart sincerely if I felt like any of you were leaving here this morning feeling beat up or ashamed or condemned. I should let you know that our finances are fine. Like this isn't a, we have a big deficit that we're trying to sort out and Andy, get up there and do the money talk. This is not that. This is about our destiny as a community and who you're becoming in Christ Jesus. Because until we sort our relationship with money out, we simply cannot be the people that God is calling us to be. That's what this is about.
wonder how many of us struggle with trust. It's just, it's just as, I, I don't know why. I've been following Jesus for 14 years. I could write a book on the miracle, miracles and provision and times when God has asked me to step on something that I didn't see was there, fully expecting to fall flat on my face. And time and time and time again, I find myself on the other side of that going, wow, God. And yet the next time, I'm like, no, no, no. I want to pray for us together this morning who struggle with trust. And I am in that boat. I wish I could be here going, after all the breakthrough guys, I'm just going to impart it. That's not what's happening this morning. I want to pray for those of us who want to trust God more. 